Hello, everybody. Welcome to Health Chatter, our 35th episode. And today we have a a really great topic. We're going to be dealing with newspaper coverage of health issues. And we'll talk about our great guests in, in just a second or two. As you all know, I'd love to, to introduce our background crew that without them, these great podcasts would not be possible. Matthew Campbell's our, our production manager, that takes care of all the logistics, the editing, the music, the whole nine yards. So thank you to Matthew. Maddie Levine-Wolf, and Aaron Collins do our background research on all the different topics that we've done so far and the ones that we have coming up, which I'll tell you at the end of the show. And then, of course, Clarence, who is in Beantown today, Boston, Massachusetts, attending a uh, Heart Association meeting. So thank you for being here long distance as always, but it's always great to have him as a good trusted colleague. And then Human Partnership is our is one of our sponsors for this show. They're a community organization that does some great work around healthcare issues for all different population groups. And Clarence is intimately involved with that group and obviously then brings a great community perspective to all the work that we do on this show. So today we have a great guest with us, Jeremy Olson. And Jeremy is uh, is actually a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter covering health care for the Star Tribune in, in Minnesota. Trained in investigative and computer assisted reporting. He has covered politics, social services, family issues, etc. He's got a great background, University of, of St. Thomas graduate, has worked in New York Times at the Pointer Institute and has done a variety of different things in the uh, in the arena here, especially in the community. But more importantly, as it relates to health and health chatter, all the different things that he's been involved with as it relates to reporting good, honest things around health components that we deal with, especially in our community in, in Minnesota. So, Jeremy, thank you. Thank you for being with us. It's a, it's a pleasure having you. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks. So I've got, you know, so I've read through a lot of the different things. And over the years, I've I've read a lot of your of your your work. Certainly um when when you were involved with the uh with the COVID epidemic, which was daily, daily keeping up on 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 everything. It was interesting because from from your perspective, you were trying to help help the public stay on top of it. And at the time, I was at the health department in the in the heart disease and stroke unit, and uh, we were we were trying to keep on top of it as well. But we really greatly appreciated your insight and and your reporting on it. So here's a couple of of themes that that kind of come to my mind when I'm when I read especially in in newspapers um, all the different things around health. One is truth, accuracy and credibility. Okay, so if I'm just reading it as a, a person in the as part of the public, how do I know that I'm getting truth, accuracy and credibility 
Well, two of those threes are, are, are a little easier to get at than the other one. And the truth being the first one that has become a loaded term with some connotations. Truth seems to be something in the eye of the beholder, what truth is. Yeah. Um, but we'll set that aside for a second and deal with accuracy and credibility. I mean, accuracy relies on some of the basic tenets of journalism. Are you, when you're quoting a study, are you quoting it accurately? Are you citing who said it? Um, are you providing the contextual information? And, and credibility is just your ability to provide accuracy over a long haul. If you've done it long enough, if you've provided enough information that people rely on, you build that credibility. Now, uh, in this social media era, it's easier for people to take shots at credibility. Uh, yeah. From time to time, people will question something or they'll say, this isn't right because I have this study here. Uh, and, and, and it says that you're wrong or that you didn't provide the full information. And so it, it you know, to, to maintain credibility takes a little bit of work. I, I think the Star Tribune has credibility. I think the accuracy of its coverage maintains credibility, but it, it's, it's a work in process when, when, and when people take shots or raise questions, it's, it's incumbent on you to answer them or to be open to different perspectives and, and engage in conversation. Credibility takes a little effort. Um, I, I, truth to me, when you when you mention truth, truth is tricky because uh, that, especially in the context of a pandemic, when you mentioned the pandemic coverage, truth changed. <laughs> there was a point in time where people said, you know, COVID, you, you're only spreading it, uh, only spreading the the coronavirus when you have symptoms, and a month or so later, it was no, 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 you can be spreading it before. Uh, you're, you're, you have symptoms and there can be asymptomatic cases and, and the truth changed. And, and so that makes it difficult because later on people might say, well, you weren't being correct. It's like, well, at the time that was the best available information, uh, truth changed. And so kind of dealing with that term can be tricky. You know, it was interesting during the, during COVID and, you know, the epidemic, even though we're still in it, hopefully we're, we're better, better shape than we were, um, a lot of the information was a moving target constantly. And it became, um, for those of us who were involved with providing useful information, either to professionals or to the public, at times it got stressful because you'd, you, on one hand, you'd say, okay, this is, this is it for right now. And then literally it could be, you know, 24 hours later, it, it mm -hmm. literally changed. So, but, uh, but to your credit, um, you really did stay on top of it and um, in a really, really professional way. And so I wanted to thank you for that. Clarence. Hey, Jeremy, I just want to tell you, you have an impressive body of work. I, uh, I've never had the opportunity to talk to a health reporter before, and uh, it's, it's kind of great doing this, but I am very interested in, with all of the opportunities that you've had, you, you focus in on health. Could you talk about your epiphany? I mean, this, this thing, I mean, I know there had to be an opportunity for it, but you, know, you seem to have funneled in on this or focused in on this particular topic. Tell me about that so that listeners can know you a little bit better. Well, impressive body of work just makes me sound old. That when you when you've been working at something long enough, you develop an impressive body of work. Is that but us, yeah, no. <laughs> Hopefully, but I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I'll tell you, you know, I um my newspaper journey started with a suburban newspaper outside of Chicago, uh, covering the usual things, crime and and all sorts of different uh, topics. City Hall, 
Uh, and then I moved to Omaha, uh, the World Herald newspaper, and I was doing kind of similar coverage there when a woman named Mary McGrath, who is kind of a historic figure there, she had covered healthcare for decades. <laughs> uh, she decided it was time to retire and they needed to bring someone else in, um, which was interesting because she, uh, Mary would take me around to hospital leaders to kind of get introduce me to them. And they would give her medals and awards and things like that. And they'd say, and, you know, that the implication being, boy, I have a lot to live up to. Um, so that was a very trial by fire entrance into the healthcare arena as a reporter at the, at the World Herald. But I, I liked that because it raised the bar and it made me even more eager to ask questions and learn quickly. Um, but really, that's where it started. I'll be honest, I did had minimal training for healthcare reporting at the time. Um, you know, high school biology, high school chemistry. You know, I, I went to St. Thomas and trained as a journalist, but I didn't have a lot of scientific courses. And so you may have argued that I was a little undermanned or underprepared uh, at the time in terms of a scientific background. But I like to think it just made me more curious. When you don't know what you don't know, you ask good questions. And that's where I had to start from. And that's where it began. I, I covered healthcare uh, there. I covered the University of Nebraska Medical Center, Creighton, the VA there, lots of healthcare institutions. And um, that led to coming to the Pioneer Press, uh, you know, 15 or so years ago. And I covered healthcare there as well, and uh, then moved over to the Star Tribune. And so from that kind of uh, unexpected beginning in Omaha, just has become a career in healthcare journalism. And really the, the tenants that were there at the beginning are still here now. I'm still just motivated to ask questions, to admit what I don't know, and to use that as a form to get into things and to understand uh, more clearly. And you know, and that's transferred to the public really well. You can tell that you you ask the hard questions and the questions that um, the public really want to hear. So let let me let me ask you this: um, How do you pick your subjects in health? Because my goodness, um, if I were to make, I, I could share you our list of all the different topics that we've done on health chatter in the past and how and how many we have going forward. How do you choose? What, what, what drives you in the development of your writings? Well, certainly there's, there's a gee whiz factor, something that's just so, so fascinating, you need to leap on it. I, I remember one of my last stories before the pandemic took over my reporting and, and life for a couple of years there was Alina Health was uh, it was in a partnership with LifeSource and they were testing the use of drones to transport organs for for organ transplant uh, and they were just going to do a test pilot of that right in right before the pandemic started and I always laugh about that I, I don't there could be drones flying over all over the place now since then because I haven't gotten back to that topic <laughs> but you know that was a, a gee whiz thing you hear something like that and you're compelled to learn more and to find out what they're doing but I'll tell you the bedrock of my coverage is statistics. I'm, I'm kind of a data geek. I look for numbers and then build stories around it. And when there's a statistic that shows change or shows something surprising, uh, that's the starting point. And, and, and uh, it's a little off healthcare, but you had mentioned the Pulitzer series and our, our, our series that won the Pulitzer was regarding deaths in childcare. And when we got the numbers on that, the, the number of deaths were up and they were all in licensed childcare homes not in centers, and I mean, all of them. And when you have that kind of disparity and you have that kind of increase, that's the basis for a story right there. There's a mystery there. 
yeah. with uh, embedded in those statistics. And from that spills out everything else, the narratives, the stories, the real people. But it often starts with just a statistic that you can't explain initially. You know, um, and Clarence can can jump on this for sure from uh, dealing with, you know, populations that he's involved with. But, um, you know, heart, let, let's just look at, at the statistics, you know, in health. Heart disease, you know, death from heart disease, stroke, cancer, diabetes. Frankly, if you're really into news, that's the number one. Those are the the, the key key factors. So my my question is is, um, I guess why isn't that given more coverage? I mean, if that's really what's getting to us as human beings, is that's what we're dying from, or that's what we're getting sick of? Why isn't that getting more covered, or is it just a function of interest? I think it gets coverage in pieces. I think it's such an enormous problem that to discuss <laughs> heart disease or, or, or cardiac deaths and, and things like that, sometimes it's hard to get your hands around it. And so it gets broken up into chunks like, okay, let's look at the food deserts that mm -hmm. result in some communities having less access to healthy foods, which then feeds into higher rates of obesity uh, and, and diabetes and, and hypertension. And so you, you take it in pieces and chunks. Uh, like I say, looking at food deserts, where they are and how you're going to deal with them. That may not be the, addressing the global picture of heart disease and why are there disparities and why are so many people dying from it. it but it's one piece at a time. Um, with, with something that big, I think that's sometimes the way to approach it or way we approach yeah. it. Yeah, or based on risk factors. And risk factors in and of themselves are, are big topics. You know, obesity. I mean, if you took yeah. that as a, you go on and on. Clarence, so, you, know, you know, we we were dealing, you know, Clarence and I worked yeah. a lot together in the communities, in the African-American community, and uh, who are at higher risk for a variety of things. Clarence, go ahead. Yeah, so I, I'm glad that you mentioned Life Source. Life Source is one of our partners. And uh, uh, I, I, I actually saw the, 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 the reporting on the drone. I didn't know that that was you, but uh, I'm really glad to see that. But uh, I was going to ask you about the, you know, some of the top subjects that has caught your personal attention. What, what, tell us a little bit about the, you know, with all of the work that you're doing, with all of the data that you like to collect, what was one of the top topics that, that really caught your attention that we need to look at? And then I want to ask you about the, the reporting around healthcare policies, you know? So I got two questions. Okay, there they go. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, my mind's reeling because after three years of covering the pandemic, sometimes it's hard to remember what other things are out there. <laughs> You're right. But, but one thing that I, I do recall, uh, you know, and, it's, and it'll follow a similar train of thought here from what we've just been discussing was the opioid uh, epidemic. Mm. Uh, the number of people dying from uh, taking too many prescription medications or taking illicit uh, or heroin or other illicit forms. Mm -hmm. I just mm -hmm. remember there being a few years ago, a uh, there was a, a seminar in the, in, the, in the summer in Minnesota about that. It hadn't been discussed a lot yet. I, I was surprised to see there had been so little media coverage. And suddenly there was this <laughs> seminar saying, boy, there sure are a lot of people dying from overdoses and what are we going to do about it as a state? And, and that just fueled an entire stream of stories for a year there. Um, looking at looking at different, you know, I, I went into the death records that 
the health department provides us for analysis and research to find individual cases of people who had overdosed and looking into the circumstances of how does that happen? How does a person go from, you know, trying a recreational drug or receiving a prescription painkiller for a, for a legitimate problem and ending up at the other end of that path with an overdose death? Um, you know, like I said, sometimes it just starts with a question like that and it leads into, into dozens of stories. Uh, sometimes the hard part in healthcare reporting is one topic like that can demand so much coverage, but there's so much else to cover. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and that, that can be a challenge. And of course, the opioid epidemic and my coverage of that led right up into the death of Prince. And then that sure. was a whole nother series of stories because that just exemplified the problem at a, at a, at a, celebrity level that sure. really took the took the whole topic to another level yeah so jeremy i want to i, I want to follow up with that story because i think that uh as a community member that was one of the one of my entry points into this health field care field as well i was approached by someone that came to me and said that uh we had an opioid problem in our community and i said i didn't i didn't know about opioids i said okay i was the director of a federally qualified health center I went to our uh, one of my colleagues and I said, well, we have a opioid problem in our community that human was going to to work on. And I was um, and I was told why your people don't do opioids. I said, OK, I didn't know. But then I went out into the community and I realized that uh, people in our community don't call them opioids. And so it was it was just this whole thing about, you know, as you just said, that we're not talking about it, uh, but it's there. And so we as a community have to really be we need people like you to help us to with the terminology uh, and knowing what the community is thinking about in order to help us to, to make it work. Yeah, that's true. I mean, because what is opioids? Are we talking about a prescription painkiller? Are we talking about fentanyl? Are we talking about heroin and the route to get to addiction and to health problems with those things can be very different. And so it was an enormous story uh, to get my hands around when that uh, became obvious that it was a community concern. And it still is. I mean, even through the pandemic, the number of deaths, the opioid-related deaths, drug overdose deaths are, are high and rising in Minnesota. So, it, you know, just because I've written about it a lot before, there's still a responsibility to continue with that topic because we haven't, we haven't solved it. You know, one question that that um, you know we've done shows on on um, on fentanyl and drug overdoses, and um, <clears throat> I encourage our listeners to to chime in and listen to those those particular shows. One thing is um, that I always had kind of the angst as a healthcare professional is one thing is providing information; it's another providing opinion are you ever are you ever drawn in in providing your opinion on things or do you do you just kind of stay with the facts i like to think that i am pretty good at uh staying outside the of the world of opinion i i, I take pride in it i work pretty hard in it yeah uh, at, at not getting too involved in in political arguments or making a political allegiances and things like that it it can be hard though when you, you know sometimes a story is driven by an anecdote you know you're writing about overdoses or something like that and you're going through the experience of one person to tell that story well that really drives the narrative and, and that's not necessarily opinion but when you're using one or two examples 
in a world of thousands of people experiencing a problem, well, that kind of shifts the narrative a little bit. I don't think yeah. it's opinion, but it's something I'm awful careful about. When I concentrate on one or two people to tell a story, um, for example, I, during, during the um, nursing strike that happened this last year, the three-day nursing mm -hmm. strike, uh, I was looking for our patients getting harmed by the absence of the regular nurses, by the presence of the replacement nurses. And I did find one case in, in a hospital where someone received very, what kind of felt abandoned, like suddenly the nurses disappeared when they needed care, it wasn't there. And they felt like the shift was immediate when the, the regular nurses left and the replacements came in. And I told the story through that person's experience. Well, that was one person's experience. And I think the hospitals fairly questioned that. It's like, well, why didn't you find some other people who had okay experiences, who felt like their care was maintained through that period? And that's a fair criticism. Criticism. So it's it's something I have to be open to when people say, when you choose to use an example, are you distorting the narrative just by focusing on that one? And it's a fair criticism that I have to be wary of. Yeah, yeah, and it's hard. It's hard. Um, Clarence brought up the idea of policies, you know, and 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 Jeremy, you alluded to the idea of kind of the politics of all of this stuff. So tell me how you how you kind of meander through all of the politics, policies, et cetera, in your writing. Uh, it you know it's a, it's a challenge. Obviously, you if if there is something that's very polarizing, it, it's <laughs> one or the other. Uh, you can provide. Uh, both views in, in a story but sometimes i like to challenge people uh and challenge the conversation when people say well you didn't provide the other side I'm like what other side there's a million sides to every issue <laughs> to narrow it down to one or the other uh really simple oversimplifies things and so sometimes i engage in conversations with sources or with readers who think i i i was too biased to say well let's talk about the sides that exist to a problem here um Going back to the pandemic coverage, uh, one of the things I made a priority to was to respond to even the harshest critics. And boy, were there some harsh critics. No, I mean, no using kidding. really yeah. aggressive, even sometimes frightening words and threats. But I decided, OK, I'm going to find out where the anger is coming from and talk to people about it. And it was amazing, maybe because Minnesotans are a little disarmed when they when, when you, you know, kind of check them a little bit and say, hey, you know, I'm a real person here. I'm listening. Let me hear your thoughts. But some of these people making very aggressive threats saying, you, you know, you're only you're a liberal red star or whatever, you know, I would say, well, where is this coming from? And it would turn out they'd, they'd say, look, I'm just upset because my brother's out of work or my mother was in a nursing home and she didn't get good care. There was a story behind it. Real people. Yeah. Um, and so I think when it comes down to sides, I just bristle at the notion that there are sides. There's millions of perspectives out there. They're all subtly influenced by real life encounters and so kind of getting to that is kind of my goal because uh you know trying to capture all sides is impossible but just kind of being open to different perspectives is, is really the way to go yeah you know we we ran into that in the in the cardiovascular you know where and you probably remember this jeremy where um patients were not showing up in the emergency rooms and it's just like wait a minute where are all the heart patients that and and because of the of the of the pandemic they were staying home and we were seeing more deaths because of that because they weren't getting treated treated properly and so you know there those are the variables those are the those are the stories behind the story 
and um, we're all we were all aware of those on almost on a on a daily basis. So um, tell us the future. What's what's is there? You know what what's on your on your list of to dos? Well, let's see. It's it's really reconnecting with sources in in, in a way mm -hmm. that uh, taking a fresh look at some different things. Um, uh, health you know, like uh, you know like the drone or just you know organ uh, there's there's been so much neglect of regular health care uh, <laughs> it was interesting to see the uh, Minnesota community measurement look at you know how has clinical care suffered through the pandemic did we stop <laughs> keeping people at optimal blood sugar levels when they have diabetes and just kind of looking mm -hmm. back at okay where is our our care level right now um it's it's uh, it's almost hard to see that far in the future because there are so many pressing things right now, including our our hospital capacity. Um, our hospitals are so crowded right now. The, our, the emergency rooms are so crowded, and there's kind of a crisis level post pandemic thing happening with the hospitals in terms of their inability to move people out of the waiting room into the emergency room, upstairs to beds, and then onward to skilled nursing. And that seems to be, I mean. I, maybe I'm overusing the term crisis level, but it's sure a problem right now and is demanding a lot of my attention. Um, I, I've kind of had some opportunities to go into the hospitals and see the crowding and see the impact. Um, and so I feel like there's a lot more to be told there. Um, so that's kind of where my focus is right now and, and doing some of those kind of stories. So it's, it's precluded me from looking a little bit farther forward than I would like to because there's so much to do in the, immediately. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know um, Jeremy, almost every show that we have, there is a conversation around health literacy that is very, very prevalent. How do you, how do you uh, work with that? I mean, in, in terms of the work that you have to do, knowing that we have such a, a gap sometimes within uh, people really understanding what's going on, how do you try to address that? Or do you look at that in terms of your, your reporting? Well, first, I count my lucky stars that Minnesota is, I think, the fourth most literate state in the nation, <laughs> and the, and our news our, our newspaper has been hanging on to circulation specifically because we are a literate community, and so I have a good base to start with, uh, knowing that <laughs> there there is a, a there are savvy readers out there. That said, I agree with you wholeheartedly that the, the health literacy, the understanding of some of these core concepts about maintain about how to maintain health. Um, some of these things like, you know, just even explaining what a BA1C, you know, or a blood sugar reading is. Yeah, those are issues. And, and I, it's hard too. I must admit, I'm not always successful in it because of the confines of a 20 inch, 25 inch, 30 inch story, even though the internet's a boundless oasis of space. Uh, we still have to write stories that confine to the newspaper. And frankly, online readers aren't going to put up with an overly long story anyway. And so it's a challenge when I feel the pull to explain something that could help people understand it. I tr and I must admit, it's a constant tension to be able to provide people with the baseline explanatory information uh, that they need to improve health literacy and the need to just fit in a story and get to the news and, and move along. It's, a, it's, a, it's difficult to do that. Sometimes the answer, and it's a bit of a cheat in the online world, is links. <laughs> you can link to like the health department's page explaining cardiovascular risks or explaining different things. And that would allow people who are curious to click on the link. And, and then I can feel good that I've done that. But <laughs> I'm not sure I've always... <laughs> I'm that's not sure that easy always out, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's the easy out. In the moment, I do feel a responsibility to explain things more, to deal with that health literacy. And, and I must admit, it's, it's a, you know, whether I'm always successful or not, it's open to, open to question. 
how do you deal with trusted partners? So like, for instance, um, you know, people at the, you know, the professionals at, at the health department or health professionals in, in the community, how is it that you use them in order to enhance your writing? Yeah, I, 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 I don't really f differentiate uh, or pull punches <laughs> with community, with trusted partners versus people I've met for the first time. And I, I, I think over time people expect that from me um, and, and they know, and that comes to kind of that credibility thing you were asking about at the start of the show is if, if you have credibility, if people know that you're going to give them a fair shake when the final story comes out, they're not going to be threatened by tough questions in the moment. They're going to understand that they need to be asked. Um, but, you know, I, so that's the thing is I, I, I really try not to pull my punches in some ways, my friends, <laughs> they get, they get the full volley of tough questions because they, <laughs> and they, they expect them. Um, but they know that I'll understand their perspective by the end and that I'll hear them out. Um, so, you know, I think that goes back to credibility. Once you have credibility and experience and, and people know what you write, uh, you can kind of lean on those uh, trusted sources a little bit more um, to get what you need to tell the story. Yeah, and and you know, Clarence and I certainly know this is that um, even with your trusted colleagues, you can disagree, and that's okay because you you trust each other and you know that going forward, um, things will proceed in the right direction. So, um, tell me about your colleagues. You know, like in the health arena, who you work with. You know, maybe at in other newspapers or across the country, do you connect with them in writing some of your stories? Uh, from time to time, I do. I mean, you, you'd mentioned a couple of fellowships that I involved in. I was in a, in a Kaiser um, Media Fellowship or, or at one point and um, did a series of, uh, that was actually with the Pioneer Press. I did a series of stories on uh, shortcomings in our long-term care system. And, uh, and I stay in touch with my fellow Kaiser <laughs> uh, group sometimes, and we can talk about stories and things like that. And certainly there's the Association of Healthcare Journalists, although I've become kind of a wayward uh, member. I haven't <laughs> kept uh, kept as involved as, as I once was. Um, but yeah, there, there's certainly, you know, the one thing about social media and everything like that, it's really made the network easier when you need input, when you need opinions uh, from other people or thoughts on stories, you can find them to help you. Um, you know, it's a, it's a truth in, in the newspaper business today that there are fewer of uh, health reporters and, and journalists in general. The numbers are shrinking. And so you do kind of, <laughs> you rely on the people that are left. I mean, in, in my newsroom, I, I mean, I hate to, uh, you know, to, but honestly, it, the health the healthcare reporting team has shrunk. I, I had Glenn Howitt, who was with mm -hmm. me on the Pulitzer series. Yeah. He's no longer there. Maura Lerner, Josephine Marcardi. These are terrific writers uh, that you know, have, have left and, and we haven't necessarily replaced them or we've committed people to cover other topics that have come up because there are th lots of other things beyond health to cover in the community and we have to get to them too. It's uh, So yeah, it, it, it's kind of a sad reality that there may be fewer partners out there to communicate with and share ideas with, but they're out there and I do take advantage of them. So another thing that comes to my mind is the balance between um, methods to get information out in the healthcare arena. So we, in this case, we're talking newspaper. We have um, social media, we have podcasts, we have information that's given to you from your healthcare 
provider, okay? You, you get it from friends that have gone through a particular thing. You get it from people in your community. So do you see yourself in, in as far as writing for a newspaper, just part of that whole continuum of information giving? I feel like uh, we have a role as a curator uh, to define the most responsible and meaningful information because you're right. Yeah. We're in an environment where people can throw around all kinds of stuff. No kidding. Uh, you know, type, go to Twitter and type in hydroxychloroquine and see what you get for, <laughs> or ivermectin for opinions. I, I mean, I saw some, uh, a report the other day that ivermectin and there are certain groups that are trying to push that as a, as a treatment, a, unproven treatment for flu or for other infectious diseases. Now, even though there's been a lack of evidence supporting it as a use for COVID, despite some fervent <laughs> belief. So it, you, there's all sorts of information out there. And, and we, in as much as I say, we have a responsibility to hear and consider different perspectives and include them in the paper and in, in our online edition, we have a responsibility to, to report the responsible stuff, the, th the stuff that's meaningful. Um, and so that curator role is a, is a, an important role we play these days with so much information coming from, as you say, so many different sources out there. Yeah. You're kind of, you know, newspaper reporting is kind of a, um, a focal point for communication um, from which, you know, you think of it kind of as the center of the hub. And there are a lot of different spokes that come out of that hub, obviously, from it. Um, here's one thing that I think is 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 going to be an interesting story. We'll see if Jeremy picks up on it. It's, you know, post, let's just say in quotes, post-COVID and mm -hmm. our work environments, how our work environments have changed. You know, we don't, you know, I don't know what percentage of the population goes into their, their offices 100% of the time, you know, healthcare professionals like in hospitals do obviously, but a hundred percent of the time and how that's, that changes um, our human interaction and the health of our interactions going forward. I think the jury is still out on that, but I really, it'd be a really interesting story to, to hear about where we're at right now and where do we think things are going to be going because of, of this and its impacts on health. Sam, yeah, can I well, add to that? Can I add to that? Yeah, I think I think Jeremy said a little bit earlier that he had to go back out and kind of uh, uh, reformulate some uh, relationships after the the uh, COVID. You know, I think it's kind of sort of what you said is that you know things have changed a lot in terms of of interesting things. And I'm with you 100. percent I think that that uh, even in my work in the in the uh, uh, working in the community, I had to go back out and reform partnerships because things have changed so much. I mean, you know, you talk about the information, you talk about the relationships, you talk about shifts in, in organizations and communities, and, and you have to really uh, figure out, you know, where are people really at at this post-pandemic uh, stage? And so it's got to be very difficult, you know, uh, when you've had some trusted partners and all of a sudden things shift within their organization or they, they, they retire or some of those kinds of things. So what are your thoughts about that, Jeremy? Well, and, and I think 
in this world of flexibility, everyone's going a little bit differently, you know, and, and in terms of where they're working and how you, re how you connect with them. What, you know, do you, do you reach out to someone by a text these days or email? I mean, kind of forging connections. It used to be, oh, you call them by phone. Well, you know, that's not how a lot of people communicate now. And so kind of establishing communications with people and, and what works best with them can be an individualized experience. Uh, as for my work in the office, I know it's, it's, it's very motivating when I have a, a wife who uh, has a remote job five times, <laughs> five days a week, and uh, she just wants me out of the house once in a while. So <laughs> I had, just by, by that, I, was, I, was, I, I also like to bike and I would bike to work and I was in the newsroom three, four times a, uh, a week, even at a time in the middle of the pandemic where the newsroom in downtown Minneapolis was empty. Well, that was my life circumstance. And there are lots of other people who had different, slightly different life circumstances, but the way thing the way things have changed forever is flexibility i mean unless you have a job that mandates you know like you're in a factory and you have to be hands-on there there's a lot more flexibility these days in terms of where you're working and how you're working and, and so in terms of a journalist uh that does change uh in terms of how i reach out people how, reach out to people how i connect with them um how i figure out what works best for them you know uh, <laughs> it's uh you know it adds a little bit of a challenge but once you kind of figure out a, a proven way of reconnecting with people you just kind of stick with that so yeah yeah and and it, and it, and it kind of went into you know high gear during um during the pandemic perhaps it was coming a lot of the research has said that it, it was coming but it went into high gear certainly during the pandemic itself so um how do you keep up on, on health journalism techniques? You know, there's not a lot of uh, difference to health journalism writing from other forms of writing, in my opinion. I mean, new, news is news from that perspective and the telling of a story through narrative. And, and a lot of those are, are, are common techniques across journalism. But I'm still the person who entered healthcare reporting, you know, years ago with limited scientific background. And so I've constantly feel the pull to maintain uh, knowledge and expertise. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I keep an eye, even if they're not local studies, I'll keep an eye on the major journals, you know, the I'll read the MMWR from CDC or the New England Journal of Medicine or JAMA. I'll kind of scan those for information just to keep me up to date. I can't imagine how doctors manage these days to provide uh, the latest medical information with all the studies on shifting on, on you know, for people, the most con, you know, for people, for doctors, it's probably like whether drugs uh, help or hurt. But, you know, remember all those stories that one day would say one glass of wine a day was a great thing for your heart. And then other studies would say, no, no, don't ever drink wine. <laughs> you know, they confuse the public with all these conflicting studies about wine or beer or anything like that. I, you know, I can't imagine what it's like to be a doctor these days to keep up with the pace of conflicting medical information on different therapeutics and things like that. Um, and, and so that's their challenge. But my challenge is at least to dip my nose into that world, look into the major journals and just keep myself versed on scientific terminology and the latest information and trends. So, and Jeremy, let me ask you this question. Uh, you, talked, you talked about uh, uh, the, the various things going on. What should readers be looking for when they talk, when they talk about a, a listening to a report? What should they be looking for? Um, you mean a journalistic report? Yep, yep. Absolutely. I, I, the question sometimes is, okay, what's your source material? I mean, are, where is this information coming from? Is it based on statistics and have you provided those statistics or is it based on just some 
random guy. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's the data geek in me, but I always feel like a story has a bedrock when it's based on some statistically significant trends, you know, not just some, you know, say something, you know, one person had a disease and now two people had a disease. That's not exactly a credible 100% increase in <laughs> prevalence, but, uh, you know, statistics that are sound, I feel like those really help. Uh, but even that can be challenging. I mean, <laughs> I can't tell you the number of people during the pandemic who would send me their own spreadsheets <laughs> analyzing the state's pandemic data, <laughs> uh, giving me their own thoughts, saying, have you seen this spreadsheet? Have you seen this way of looking at it? Um, which can be a challenge. And, 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 you know, well, that's part of the fun is, is, is the challenge of navigating through credible information and providing it to readers. But I feel like there's always a bedrock in the numbers that can then build a story out and so i feel like okay readers can rely on that if there's something there that's they can count on in terms of statistical trend that's a starting place so one of the major themes that um that we've addressed you know throughout all of our shows and it certainly came to a, a forefront when we had um dr nico pronk from from health partners who was um the co-chair in developing the Healthy People 2030 objectives for the nation, okay? And there's a real strong focus in the objectives for the nation around health equity, okay? How is it that, um, you know, different populations can be treated equitably? Any thoughts on that from a journalistic point of view? Yeah, I, I think it needs to be more a focus of our coverage. Uh, so often, you know, and, and it needs to not be accepted. Uh, sometimes I feel like there are times when equity or, or inequity is, is just like, well, of course, you know, there, we've always had more heart attacks or more heart disease among uh, Minnesota's African-Americans, or there's been a higher suicide rate among American Indians. I'm just kind of grasping at different statistics. And it's like, well, that doesn't have to be the way it is or that the accepted way it is. I think that we, you know, in the context of equity, there is a challenge to write about how these are unacceptable problems uh, and not just the way it is. Um, it, it can be hard because, you know, like say when we're writing about the pandemic, for example, I keep going back to that, but it's obvious, you know, yeah. we were talking about pandemic trends and then there's a whole nother set of trends when it's dealing with minorities uh, in terms of the death rate and things like that. And, and, and once in a while you have to focus on those problems because they are distinct and they, and they demand attention. Yeah. You know, um, in our shows, we've, we've talked about, you know, some really, really hard issues um, we had a show on racism, we had a show on anti-Semitism in health. Um, and some of these topics are just really big. And you've alluded to these, like poverty. If you look at poverty, you know, in the history of mankind, there has always been poverty. Okay, what's our goal? If we address poverty, what's our goal? To eliminate it? perhaps, but I don't think that'll ever happen, but that doesn't mean we're okay with it. So how is it that we still proceed with writing about it, addressing it, uh, keeping it at the forefront of people's attention? You know, health equity is certainly one of those in, in, that, in that line of, of thinking. Um, what's been the most tiring work for you? Was the pandemic really tiring? 
um, or was that just okay? The, here we go again, another issue, or was that just tiring? You know, I, I I feel fortunate in that. I mean, everyone gets tired at different points in their jobs, but I don't. I have never really felt that in journalism. Um, there's always a new story. There's an, always another way of covering something. Or and I and the criticisms even have their own energy because it means people are caring enough to chime in, and that drives its own energy. Correct. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I haven't I haven't felt the fatigue. Now, you know, sometimes when I had to work six seven days in the early days of the pandemic and write you know, online story, then another story, then another story, right, you get right, yeah. physically drained. But the invest, you know, my personal investment in it hasn't really waned. I haven't really felt the fatigue from an intellectual level. And that goes to other stories as well. I, I guess as long as the curiosity light's still burning, I, I'm doing okay, because I haven't, uh, haven't had to deal with that as uh, t too much. I, I feel fortunate in that. Yeah. And, and if you feel fortunate, then we're fortunate because uh, we don't want you to lose the, the energy at all. One thing is, um, and I'm not aware, does um, like newspapers, are they embracing things like podcasts themselves now? Or some are like New York Times, I know, has a variety of different podcasts. Like, does the Star Tribune get into that into that mode? It's the conundrum because when you're a newspaper that has shrinking readership, that means you have less resources to invest in new areas, uh, which makes it difficult to then strike out and invest yeah. in a new area because right. you don't have the resources. It's it's right, kind of right, a chicken right. and egg. Yeah. That said, we do have a couple successful podcasts like Curious Minnesota and things like that. Ah. Uh, and things have come and gone in fads. Like at one point, the Star Tribune was big into blogs. Every reporter should have a blog and be writing. Well, that, that kind of went away. And at one point, we did like video interviews where <laughs> an editor would roll up with a camera and say, tell us about what you're working about today. And, and, and that would be presented to readers through our website. And those went away. So there's a lot of experimenting to find what hits home. Um, I do think some of the blogs we have, uh, newsletters, you know, oddly enough, emailed newsletters seem to be a highly... Uh, successful way of synthesizing the news and giving it to people in a way that they can just click on a link and bam, they're into the news. Uh, so we're definitely searching and that we're looking for those innovations that connect with readers in an online way. Yeah. Uh, it, sometimes it's hit and miss and, and it can be a challenging in the current environment, but it, I know, I mean, it's imperative. <laughs> we yeah, have to right. get into these things uh, to maintain our, our viability as a news organization. So let me ask you, you know, you know, I'm, I'm probably old school. I like, to have a newspaper in hand. There's something tactically stimulating about it as far as um, the interaction between it and your reading. What percentage that you know of, of, of people are holding on to a newspaper these days, a newspaper in hand? You know, I, I don't know all those things, but I do know that the Star Tribune has become, I think, one of the top five daily subscription uh, paper subscription papers in the country. I, I, there could be wow. uh, the number might be not be precise, but we're impressively high for our population size being a mid market. Yeah. And that goes to our literacy rate. Um, but that tells you in the rest of the country, you know, readership is declining in, in the paper form. It may be increasing in the online form. Um, we've hung on to a paper readers better than others, but even we are, have seen some declining circulation. And so it's, it's a gradual transition. Um, but either way, the, like say, I've, I said this a couple times before, I feel fortunate to be in Minnesota where there are so many curious people, literate people, and they're going to pick up the information one way or the other, even if we 
have to continue to make that transition. I like my paper too. It's just such a feeling of a record of the day. Yeah, like here, exactly. Here, here, here's the information, you know, and, 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 you know, you don't get overwhelmed by a screen that's scrolling of, of stories. I, I still like my paper too. I can deal with online just fine, but I, I, I like a good paper once in a while. Exactly. Exactly. Well, we have some great, you know, um, great shows coming up one that you'd be interested in and you could probably write about it as a, as a health subject is pets. And what did pets do for us uh, or what do they do for us on a daily basis? And what did they do for us during, you know, some health oriented emergencies? So we have a show coming up. Our next show will be on, on pets. Jeremy, it's been wonderful connecting with you. I, I have to underscore um, really for our listening audience that um, Jeremy was definitely second to none as far as getting um, as best as possible the, uh, the necessary, truthful, honest, credible information out there uh, during the, certainly during the pandemic. And I know, I just know for a fact that that with that in his um in his pocket he will continue to do that on a variety of different health issues that that we're all ad addressing so i want to i want to really truly thank you for being on on health chatter we um we reserve the right to to pull you back in uh you know on on a particular issue or maybe a particular story that you write that's a hey wait a minute jeremy we got to get jeremy on the show or vice versa, if you find that there's a need uh, from the different types of stories that you write that you would like to get it out into a, uh, a podcast format and talk about it, absolutely connect with us. So Jeremy, thanks so much for being on our show. Greatly, greatly appreciated. Yeah, our uh, happy to be here. Yeah, thank for you. our listening audience, our next show will be on pets and we'll be talking about what they do for us as, as, as human beings. Um, all the different types of pet food <laughs> that, you know, you can imagine um, is driving uh, pet owners a little crazy trying to figure out and how to keep them healthy as well. So until then, everybody keep health chatting away. Hi, everyone. It's Matthew from Behind the Scenes. And I wanted to let everyone know that we have a new website up and running, healthchatterpodcast.com. You can go on there, you can interact with us, you can communicate with us, send us a message, you can comment on each episode, you can rate us, uh, and it's just another way for everyone to communicate with uh, Stan and Clarence and all of us at the Health Chatter team. So definitely check it out. Again, that's healthchatterpodcast.com.